back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for another one of our bonus episodes and another franchise focus. This time, we're looking at the Golden State Warriors. Of course, they started out as the Philadelphia Warriors before moving to San Francisco. Uh, They were then known as the San Francisco Warriors before moving to Oakland and taking on the more uh, state-friendly title of Golden State Warriors to include all of California. So, um, that's a little bit of the team history. Before we jump in, I'm your host, Karsten. Welcome to the show, uh, both new listeners and experienced listeners alike. We really appreciate the support. Um, as far as our franchise focus, if you're new to this segment, here's how it works. Basically, we take a little bit more time to talk about one franchise in more detail, and we do it in three different parts. Firstly, we look at the current franchise uh, direction as far as what they've done the last few seasons and what the outlook is for them going forward. We then shift into talking about a notable historic team from that franchise's history, and then we finally talk about a notable and or legendary player from that franchise's history as well. So we get a little bit of uh, touching all the bases of a a franchise's history, and uh, we're going to start, of course, with the current team direction, and again, today's franchise focus, we're looking at the Golden State Warriors, and um, we, I don't know, I I can't really speak for you, the listener uh, in general, you know, a lot of you have differing uh, perspectives, rightly so. For me, it feels like the Warriors are still in their dynasty era, even though that really isn't the case. Of course, they uh, from 2015 to 2018, uh, those four seasons, they won three out of four championships. Uh, the other one they lost in the finals after having the most statistically dominant regular season of all time. They were 73 and nine. Greatest regular season record of all time. And then, you know, it feels like because they've still had Stephen Curry, they've had Clay Thompson, and they've had a variety of additional co-stars that have been all-stars at various points. It kind of feels like they should still be that team in the mix. And in some ways they are, of course. Uh, last season, they were the NBA champions. 2022, they won the championship, uh, their fourth title in um seven seasons uh eight seasons excuse me fourth title in eight seasons but really you look over the last four years and um two of those four they didn't make the playoffs while in 2021 they were in the play-in game and narrowly missed the playoffs so technically that should be factored this season they're a sixth seed in the playoffs so that is to be determined you know we don't know how far they will finish in the playoff picture. But, um, you know, it's a team that is not quite at that, um, you know, otherworldly level that they were when they were winning most of their championships. Although it does feel like at any minute they're still capable of that level of dominant play. Um, And, of course, it starts with the face of the franchise, one of the faces of the NBA, Stephen Curry, you know, and he's a guy that, you know, I will make this statement with, I would bet my proverbial house on it. I don't own a house yet, but uh, if I had one, I would bet my house that Stephen Curry will retire a Golden State Warrior. He's going to be there for the rest of his career. That is a no-brainer, you know, pick. And only because Wilt Chamberlain had, <clears throat> excuse me, only because Wilt Chamberlain only played for the Warriors for about four or five seasons that would mean when Stephen Curry retires, he's going to be the greatest golden state warrior of all time. And that's a pretty 
phenomenal list. We mentioned Chamberlain, Rick Barry, uh, Nate Thurmond. Uh, you know, there's an extensive list. It's a deep history. It's one of the oldest franchises in the NBA. And so, you know, he's going to be up there. He's the greatest shooter of all time. Maybe the greatest scoring point guard of all time. You know, he's up there. And just a phenomenal career. You know, no one's going to argue that. Clay Thompson right there with him. And um, just nearly as prolific. I feel like there's a good chance at the end of his career, Clay Thompson is number two all time in three-pointers made. You know, and that would only feel right to me. The, these two have revolutionized uh, the game, the way it's played across the league, the three-point shot in general, uh, phenomenal. You know, and those two are still there. They're starting to get a little bit older, though. Um, Stephen Curry in his 14th season in the NBA, Clay Thompson in his 10th season in the NBA. Um, Curry is 34 years old. Um, let me double check that. 35, excuse me, 35 years old. Clay is uh 33. So they are in their mid thirties at this point. And so they don't have too much longer that they're going to be playing at least not at the elite level. You know, you imagine they'll probably still play for a number of seasons, but their play you would think will start to decline. Of course, if LeBron is any ended in the indicator this season, that doesn't always have to be the case, but um, you know, those two are, are the focal points along with <laughs> Excuse me, I'm terribly sorry. Along with Draymond Green, who is 33 himself. So they're all about the same age, um, that same core. That's a championship core. Draymond, if you're not familiar, he's a different type of player. You know, he's a guy that for his career only averages about nine points a game, yet he's a four-time all-star because he um, rebounds incredibly well for his height. Um, he is the Warriors, realistically, he's their playmaker. He's the guy that runs the offense or at least racks up the assists from the offense. Gets a ton of steals, gets a ton of blocks. He's a defensive player of the year, multi-time all-defensive guy. You know, he makes makes up for some of the things that Curry and Thompson don't do. He fills gaps. He, you know, is versatile. He's an underrated player, you know. and But again, that core is aging. And as the Warriors run through this era where they're still competitive, they still have every chance to maybe even go on another championship run. I, I don't doubt that at all. Um, as the great head coach Rudy Tomjanovich Tom once said, never underestimate the heart of a champion. Um, uh, you know, until those three start to regress, there's a trade or any other kind of major disruption for the next several years, those that group should still be, you know, able to, with the right pieces, compete for a championship, you know, and I don't think that's outlandish to say. The question is, you know, some of it is unknown as far as what happens with those three, but the rest of it is, you know, what's the future of the Warriors? You know, let's look three or four years in the future, and these guys have all taken that step back. Maybe one or more has been traded and or signed with another team in free agency. You know, Steph Curry's there, but maybe he's, you know, just a solid player at that point and, you know, maybe even past his all-star years. What does the future look like? Well, um, the easy place to look would be Jordan Poole. Uh, I mean, he's uh, only 23 years old, you know, nearing 24 years old. He's a, a combo guard, either point guard, shooting guard, 6'4", good size. Um, he's become kind of the um, 
the tertiary gunner, if you will. He's the the third guy that's going to shoot a lot of threes and make a lot of threes. His percentages are not as great as uh, Steph Curry or Clay Thompson. Then again, few are, but um, you know he shoots about thirty four percent from three for his career, and that realistically is a little bit, you know, underwhelming as far as a sharp shooter. I would say Jordan Poole's more of a scorer than a shooter, but um, you know he's a place to look, and he's an interesting player as far as filling some of those roles. Although I don't know if I would categorize him at the same level as a a prime Clay Thompson or a Stephen Curry, you know, as far as what I think he will be, you know. But he's an interesting player. Of course, he's been a big part of the team. He was a big part of that championship team last year. Andrew Wiggins, uh, despite the, you know having to leave the team for a good period of time this season for personal issues. He's a key part as well. He was one of the underrated uh, valuable pieces of that championship team last year. Statistically, I mean, solid about 18, a game uh, four or five rebounds, a couple assists defensively much improved. And in the playoffs, the rebounding went way up. I mean, he was averaging near about eight rebounds a game in the playoffs. And, um, you know, defensive numbers went up as well, um, filling the role that they needed for him in the playoffs. And so Wiggins is an interesting one as well. Outside of that, that's where you get into uh, some more question marks. You know, uh, we talk about some of the old guard going out, um, not as much as you might think, but Andrew uh, Andre Iguodala, um, he will probably be retiring within the next year or two, I would think. You know, he's... Um, Bounced with, bounced around with a couple teams over the past few seasons. Um, I mean, he was with Memphis, but didn't ever play. Then he went to Miami. Um, Memphis might have actually been after Miami. Uh, back with Golden State, has barely played this season. He's out again with injury, um, so he's not going to be a big long-term factor. They brought back Gary Payton the second, but now he has some injury questions as far as he's missed most of this season with injury. Um is that going to affect him long-term when he's played? He's been a nice bench piece, uh, unique defensive player. They have, uh, Kevon Looney, who most of the time has started at center. Uh, he's been a part of many of these championship teams. He's a, a stout rebounder, solid inside presence, gives them some good size, um, that they at times lack Jonathan Kaminga, the young, um, he's only 20 years old. I mean, forward with, seemingly endless endless potential as far as that athleticism, that size, being able to be uh, any kind of player. He could be a defensive standout. He could be a great scorer. He could be a great rebounder. He could be any and all of the above. Um, it's just all about development and how well he's able to fill that role. They have DiVincenzo, who I like as uh, you know, a shooting guard who used uh, part of a championship team in 2021 with the Bucks, despite not playing in the postseason. He started all 66 regular season games he played that year, so he was every bit a part of that title as you know any other member of that team in my mind. Um, you know, and he's you know, versatile scoring, rebounding, assists, defense, great shooter. You know, he can fill a lot of roles and he's still fairly young as well. They have Anthony Lamb, who was a, a two-way contract type of guy for a long time. Uh this season has had a chance for big minutes. Um, much bigger than he's ever had. And he's stepped up as far as just being a three-point specialist. And uh, in today's NBA, that can get you pretty far, and he's done pretty well this season. 
Um, outside of that, uh, you know, they signed Jamichael Green. I liked that uh, signing in the offseason a lot. He has really not done a ton in their rotation. I mean, I suppose he's just kind of met expectations, been a decent player. He might be an important part in this playoff uh, run for them. But, you know, that's big stuff. They did trade away James Wiseman, and I think that's one of the big question marks. I mean, he's 22 years old. He was their first uh, – he was their second overall pick in 2020, just three years ago. And he's a, a true seven-footer, great size, has potential to be a really great center in the modern NBA. And uh, they trade him away. He gets ends up in Detroit with the Pistons. So that's an interesting one. And outside of that, um, as the championship core starts to age and there's that anticipation of that age starting to show, what does the future look like? You know, is it in these existing pieces in Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, uh, DiVincenzo, Kaminga? I think there's every potential, you know, especially a guy like Kaminga, you know, he has all sorts of ability, um, you know, there's the room for that kind of a versatile game to grow. Um, if that's, you know, kind of what the game has for him, I suppose, uh, for lack of a better phrase, but, you know, it's interesting because as they continue to be competitive, they're not going to have ultra stellar draft positioning. I mean, I think they're okay. As far as their picks, I don't believe they've traded away a ton of their picks in recent years, but, um, those picks aren't going to be ultra high. Um, you know, there's every possibility they end up with a draft steal, but more likely they're just not getting the top prospects. And then, you know, my concern is that as the championship core ages, they will fall back into that, you know, mediocrity or even below mediocrity, um, which I suppose in the wake of, four championships or by the end of it, maybe even a fifth championship, who knows what happens, you know, but multiple championships having that period of, you know, regression after that would not sting as much, but for a franchise as important to the NBA as the Warriors collective, you know, Philadelphia and golden state history, their franchise and that, what that means to the NBA, you like to say that you like to see them stay competitive and, um, I'm just not sure exactly what that roadmap is. But again, they're at the luxury of they're still technically contending right now. You know, they've got some of the greatest players of our modern era. And um, that's the outlook. You know, keep it going for as long as um, you're able to, as long as those guys are still productive. I mean, Stephen Curry this season, nearly 30 points a game, six assists, six rebounds, despite a couple of different injury issues. He's not really showing any signs of slowing down. Clay Thompson is back in his groove he's not slowing down draymond green um has he's been a bit more inconsistent at times but he's still productive so you know it's just about when does time catch up to them and when does it start to shift into that next era of warriors basketball that's kind of the next question but of course if you're a warriors fan right now you're just worried about the playoffs of course they have a playoff series against the sacramento kings that California series matchup. That'll be a great one to watch out for. But um, that's the first part of our franchise focus, the current team for a historic team. There's again, it's a, a proud franchise history. <laughs> Excuse me. Proud franchise history. They have won a total of seven championships as a franchise. Um, 
four of them in recent years, as we mentioned, one in the 70s, and then uh, a couple of them in the 50s, in the 40s and 50s, early days of the NBA. Um, there's some some different finals teams, some uh, competitive playoff squads. There's the Cinderella run of the, the 07 Warriors. There's the run TMC Warriors. There's any kind of era you know, despite having long periods of, of struggle in their franchise history, there's plenty of, um, you know, eras and teams to talk about that are noteworthy. I decided to talk about a team that made it to the NBA finals, despite what you might've thought going into that season um, at the time. Uh, and a team, they lost in the finals, but it was a very intriguing final series. I'm going with the 1967 San Francisco Warriors. Uh, just a few years before they would change the moniker, uh, begin to go by the Golden State Warriors. Um, and this 67 team, you look back a year prior, 1966. Um, well, actually, it's a couple seasons prior. Let me, yeah, 1965. That was the last season they had Wilt Chamberlain. Um, but they also had a young player by the name of Nate Thurmond on board who was um, at that point kind of playing alongside Chamberlain and, you know, really emerged as a great rebounding talent next to Chamberlain himself. Um, they had a you know tremendous front court. Chamberlain is in this era still averaging, you know, this season 65, 39 points a game, 23 and a half rebounds. Thurman's averaging eight, 18 rebounds himself per game. So the front court is set. Um, and outside of that, the solid players from, you know, some of Chamberlain's better years with the Warriors, um, you know, even just a season prior, um, you know, that's just not the same group for whatever reason. You know, Guy Rogers is still there, one of the, you know, underrated point guards of the 60s. Um, Tom Meshery, it's just, you know, there's not enough of a mix. There's, you know, uh, injury troubles. I mean, Chamberlain only played about half the season. That was probably a big factor. Um, you know, any number of factors, the Warriors finish uh, well below 517 and 63 missed the playoffs entirely. Um, so they end up trading away, um, Will Chamberlain, they trade him to uh, the <clears throat> the newly created um, Philadelphia 76ers franchise. Um, hold on, let me double check that. There it is. Yes. No, it was a midseason trade. Okay, first of all, apologies. I'm misspeaking a little bit on this whole history. The reason Chamberlain only played half the games that season is because that it was during the season that he was traded. My mistake. For whatever reason, I was thinking it was um, after the season, but it was during the 1965 season. They trade him away. They're left with Thurmond, who then becomes the starting center. Um, he's really starting to emerge, though, so it kind of works out. But, um, you know, Chamberlain is still a superior player to Thurmond at this time. Um, the Sixers are basically a pretty brand-new team recently. Up until recently, they were the Syracuse Nationals, and now they're the Philadelphia 76ers in the wake of the Warriors moving to uh, San Francisco themselves. So Philadelphia loses the Warriors a season or two later, they get Wilt Chamberlain back with their new team. And it's just interesting how these things work. So you go to 66, they're kind of middle of the road, but they have 
another young prospect by the name of Rick Barry in his rookie season. He averages uh, just 25, nearly 26 points a game and 10 rebounds, you know, phenomenal numbers, easily rookie of the year. And so we go into 67 and they've got, you know, Thurmond who's, you know, in his third or fourth year, he's emerged as a top center. And now the second year of Rick Barry, who was easily rookie of the year, and he's a top, you know, player in his own right. You know, what's the future of this team look like? And in 1967, both of them have phenomenal seasons. Thurmond keeps up his level of play. About 19 points a game, uh, 21 rebounds a game. Phenomenal. And even though they did not track steals and blocks in this time, he was well regarded as a defensive player. So he's got that block, you know, blocks numbers. He's probably getting some steals too. You know, he's phenomenal inside. Rick Barry takes his play even further. 35.6 points per game, nine rebounds, three and a half assists, shooting lights out. I mean, he's shooting nearly 29 times a game, 45% from the floor. They didn't have a three-point line at that time, but he probably could have been a solid three-point shooter too, which would have elevated his scoring even further. I mean, he's just scoring a ton. Thurman's controlling the glass. <clears throat> Excuse me. Alongside them, they have, um, you know, a, a mix of players, you know, and they're trying to figure out what that rotation is in support of those two guys. By the time they get to the playoffs, they've got Jeff Mullins, who's, uh, you know, really coming into his own as an all-star level type player. I mean, he's just starting to get the seeds of that, you know, his own little scoring ability, that shooting guard spot. A um, couple seasons later, he would be a, you know, three straight years, three-time all-star. Um, but before this, he's starting to get into that groove. He's the the secondary scorer alongside Rick Barry in the playoffs. The starting point guard becomes Jim King. Um, nickname Mr. Hustle. He's just a solid point guard. He was an all-star the following season with the Warriors. So they've got this talent level that's really starting to emerge coming coming into the playoffs. Tom Mesher, who's been with the franchise a little bit, is that power forward or, you know, small forward, power forward. Rick Barry and him are kind of mixed up in that role. Both are good rebounders. It kind of works out. Um, and then the bench is all right. They have Al Adels. Um who would go on to coach the Warriors later in his tenure. He would coach them in their 75 championship year, but he was kind of the backup combo guard. Um, Fred Hetzel is another name here. I believe he was a yeah small forward, power forward. So he kind of makes the rotation work there. Um, excuse me. So there's no center depth, but really there doesn't need to be because in this era, centers are playing pretty much every minute of every game. Thurmond, 46 minutes a game. So that's not a factor. The rotation around him, Rick Barry has a good enough supporting cast. Mullins is coming into his own. Jim King, solid point guard. You know, Meshery is a, a good forward, a veteran forward. And they've got a okay bench, you know, and they make a run. They win in the division semifinals versus the Lakers 3-0. And this is a Lakers squad with Elgin Baylor and Jerry West still in their primes. So, um, impressive first round series they go on to the western division finals essentially the western conference finals at that time against the st louis hawks who are in their own little run of continually being a top team in the western conference they've got you know a great front court zelmo Beatty, bill bridges um 
Lou Hudson technically kind of playing the small forward along with Joe Caldwell, Paul Silas, uh, not to mention Lenny Wilkins and Richie Guerin. You know, they've got a ton of talent here. Um, but they overcome that Hawks team to go to the finals. And wouldn't you know it, who do they play in the finals? But Wilt Chamberlain and the Philadelphia 76ers. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this 67 team. It had only been three or four seasons prior that the Warriors left Philadelphia. Um, and they go to San Francisco to become the San Francisco Warriors. A season after they leave, the Syracuse Nationals move to Philadelphia to take their spot. They become the 76ers. But more, even more interestingly, the Wilt Chamberlain aspect. Just a couple seasons after Wilt Chamberlain left the Warriors to join the Sixers or, or was traded from the Warriors, he gets to the finals finally in his career again after losing to the Celtics. And who's he faced but his old team, the San Francisco Warriors. And uh, there's just something funny about it that I really uh, enjoy. You look at that 67 Sixers team, though. You know, for this Warriors team, meeting that Sixers team, that finals was a little bit over in the sense that that Sixers team is one of the great teams of all time. If you had to talk about the 20 or 30 best NBA teams of all time, maybe even top 10, top 15, that team is in there. I mean, they were 68 and 13. Of course, Will Chamberlain was great, but they have Hal Greer, another all-star Hall of Famer, Chet Walker, Huge scoring guy, Wally Jones, great veteran point guard, Billy Cunningham coming into coming into his own before he became an all-star himself. Luke Jackson, underrated inside presence. I mean, they've they had depth, they had talent, they had everything, you know. And the Warriors were close. And it was actually a six-game series. It was competitive. But um, again, that Sixers team was an all-time great team. And the other interesting irony is. In 1966, the Warriors were coached by Alex Hannum, who's a Hall of Fame level coach. Uh, They parted ways with him before the 67 season and were coached by Bill Sharman, likewise a Hall of Fame level head coach. He wasn't the problem. But you know who the head coach for the 76ers was that year? You guessed it, Alex Hannum. And he went on to win his second championship along with his original championship in 58 with the St. Louis Hawks. Hannum would go on to actually win one more title in 69 in the ABA with the Oakland Oaks. And uh, he had a player by the name of Rick Barry. So it kind of came full circle in some ways. Again, these interlapping storylines, phenomenal stuff. You know, you couldn't write it this way. No one, you know, that script would get thrown out. But a great story, a great Warriors team. And to top it all off, I forgot to mention at the beginning, but this is the Warriors team that had the the city jerseys. In my opinion, likely the greatest NBA uniforms that have ever existed. Um, if you haven't seen those uniforms, um, the Warriors have brought them back as a throwback multiple times. Um, but basically, you have that circle logo with the, the at that point, it would have been the Golden Gate Bridge um script you know font the city atop it and then even better on the back is a uh you know cable car oh it's just a beautiful jersey great team barry and thurman great combo um weren't able to win a championship but it was a great team nonetheless and speaking of thurmond 
he's one of my favorites of all time. And I'm definitely going to use this um, franchise focus as an excuse to talk about him in detail. He's the player we'll focus on, but you could def you definitely couldn't say that he's not deserving of talking about him. He is maybe, and I'm realizing throughout recording this that I'm potentially overusing the word underrated. Um, I throw that around a lot um, simply because I think I find a lot of interesting stories in the NBA and a lot of players who contribute in different ways. And I generally summarize that as underrated. And um, sometimes it's true. Sometimes maybe I'm, you know, over labeling or, or doing something like that. But I will say this definitively. Definitively, Nate Thurmond is underrated in the pantheon of all-time great centers. You have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You have Wilt Chamberlain. You have Bill Russell. Hakeem Olajuwon, right? Outside of, excuse me, you know, Hakeem, a little more modern era, and Kareem, kind of in that group too. You have Russell, Chamberlain. Quite honestly, I think you could put Nate Thurmond in that mix with a Bill Russell and a Wilt Chamberlain, if not just, you know, half step down. And that sounds outlandish, but what a talent, you know, averaging 15 rebounds a game for his career easily. You look at his prime 65 through, you know, just about 72. So about eight seasons, you know, the, the bulk of his golden state run where he was a five-time all-star. He's averaging 18 rebounds a game, 19 points per game. You know, he's kind of a tweener between Russell and Chamberlain. He's scoring a little bit more than Russell did, but not the Wilt Chamberlain type numbers. Um, and the rebounding isn't quite as good as either Chamberlain or Russell, but it's still right there. And his assists are impressive too. Over that span, he's averaging about three assists a game, which is pretty cool to see. Um, and then again, we didn't track steals or blocks until 1974. 74, he was starting to be a little bit in his decline. He was in his last season in Golden State in 1974. He was still an all-star, 13 points a game, 14 rebounds, but he did average just about three blocks per game. So you can imagine in these even greater years, you know, 67 and 68, where he's averaging 21, 22 rebounds a game, he could have been averaging four or five blocks a game. And if he had that for that run where would he rank in all-time blocks you know so the defense <clears throat> similar to a bill russell Hakeem Olajuwon, you know these type of guys along with the rebounding some scoring touch too he's phenomenal i mean you look at pictures of nate thurmond what an intimidating presence to have to play against a guy who was that physically imposing that strong he was tall, and of course, you know, 6'11", nearly 7 foot, but the strength, I just can't imagine. He was impressive. It was phenomenal. And, you know, you look at his numbers that he put up, there's, you know, his statistical accomplishments. He was the first player in NBA history to record a quadruple double in a game. The only others that have done that, Alvin Robertson, Hakeem Olajuwon, and David Robinson. And, um, yeah, it was actually not even in Golden State. It was his first season in Chicago where he was continuing to decline a little bit. 
he, you know, he had a game, 22 points, 14 rebounds, 13 assists, 12 blocks. Phenomenal stuff. It was his first game with the Bulls. It was his debut. Like he had something to prove. Unbelievable. His 15 rebound per game average. He's one of only five players to do that. The others, Chamberlain, Russell, Bob Pettit, and Jerry Lucas. One of only five players to average at least 20 rebounds per game during a season. Again, that same four guys, the only other guys to do that. One of only four in NBA history to record 40 or more rebounds in a single game. He had 42 rebounds versus Detroit in 1965, November of 65. Russell, Chamberlain, and Lucas, the only other ones to do that. And the NBA regular season record for rebounds in a quarter, 18 in Baltimore against the Bullets, 18 rebounds in a quarter. Unbelievable. You know, and again, I'm I'm gushing a little bit because he's one of my favorite players of all time. But it's hard to overstate how phenomenal he was. Um, here's some more anecdotal type stuff to talk about that. I'm taking this from the Wikipedia page. I'm sure this has got some decent sources behind it, but Thurmond, uh, I'll quote now. Thurmond also gained a fear, fearsome defensive reputation in, in the NBA. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar called Thurman the toughest defender he ever faced during his 20-season professional career. NBA All-Star center Bob Rule recalled Thurman blocking six of his seven shots during the first half of their first encounter. After his coach urged him to, quote, keep putting him up, he can't block them all, Rule responded, yeah, well, if I hadn't made that layup, it would have been all of them. Um, Yeah, I mean, the defense, again, understated. After his lengthy career in the with the Warriors who went on to the Bulls. We mentioned, I mentioned in the, in the debut, he had a quadruple double and that Bulls team was productive, you know, was helped by his presence. He went on to the Cavs for a couple more seasons. He was part of that miracle Cavs team in 1976, part of their bench. Um, you know, that was a great part of his career. By that point, he was slowing down. His last season was 1977. And then he hung it up in his final season, 20 minutes a game, still averaging about seven and a half rebounds a game. So, Still productive. After his retirement, um, he uh, opened a restaurant in San Francisco, Big Nate's Barbecue, uh, and then sold it after 20 years. So that's pretty cool to see. like that stuff. He was also given a title of Warriors legend and ambassador by the Warriors organization. Um, <clears throat> and then, unfortunately, um, Nate Thurman has passed away at this point. He passed away in 2016. Um, just a few days short of his 75th birthday. Um, he had been battling leukemia, um, and he was honored during the 2017 season by the Warriors. Um, his his jersey number was on there, uh, was a patch on their jerseys during that season. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately we lost him. But again, a incredible NBA player, integral to the fabric of the NBA, I would say. You know, even though he's not talked about in the same degree, or same, um, same rate, you know, not talked about as much as say uh, a Wilt Chamberlain, a Bill Russell, a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a Hakeem Olajuwon, a Shaquille O'Neal, you know, David Robinson, even any of those guys, he gets lost in that mix, but he's as good as just about any of those guys. And uh, one of my favorite players, Nate Thurmond. Um, with that, that takes care of our franchise focus for the Golden State Warriors. Um, as far as our upcoming episodes, we do have tomorrow's 
uh, normal Friday episode where we're going to preview um, the first round playoff series. So we're excited about that. But we also have our last bonus episode, our last franchise focus for the Washington Wizards. So definitely tune in for that. So again, a couple episodes on Friday. Um, and then uh, that'll be that'll be it. We'll be into the playoffs. We'll have done our franchise focus and uh, we'll kind of go from that point. But uh, real quick, definitely check out our Instagram page. Uh, we would really appreciate it if you did that. That's crossover across time on Instagram, all one word, no caps. Um, we share content from the show along with content from across the NBA, um, doing our best to share that. So it's a great place along with the podcast itself to stay up to date with what's going on in the NBA as a whole. Um, we appreciate you checking that out. Um, by this point, I'll be honest. I did this, um, episode right after the trailblazers episode, which was right after the normal Thursday episode. And so my voice is pretty much decimated. And so I'm sure you could tell that throughout the episodes, um, my voice getting, you know, worse and worse, but, um, again, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, appreciate your patience with us. We had some, you know, scheduling conflicts kind of had to, you know, rework the bonus episodes, get those crammed in over a couple of days, but, um, you know, still excited about the season, about the podcast itself and about the playoffs. It's going to be a lot of fun, but, um, uh, to close things out, thank you all for listening again. We really appreciate it. Um, we'll be back tomorrow with either, uh, and well, both we'll be back with both the, the normal show as well as our last bonus episode. Again, our franchise focus for the Washington Wizards. So thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you on tomorrow's uh, duo of episodes. Thanks again.